This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the Josh and Mark studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. I am Josh. With me, as always, without fail, is Mark. That's right. Yep. And if you notice, this is the Josh Josh and Mark Studios. There is no Chris tonight. There are no advertisers tonight. It is a special episode. But for, before we get into that, um, I do feel like there's some things that we need to talk about, Mark. Um, first of all, do your friends a favor. Spay and neuter your pets. No, seriously, share this podcast with your with your friends and your coworkers. I that was my best Bob Barker impression. God rest his soul. Um, so share this podcast with your coworkers and your meeting groups. We've seen really good growth in the last couple of weeks. Canada coming in strong. Totally bizarre. I think it's because I was in Canada this summer. You know, they heard about my tour. Um, but thank you, Canada, British Columbia, specifically for listening. Um, and yeah, share us with your your uh, meeting groups, your distribution list, etc. This will be a good episode to share too. Um, first of all, Chris is not here. Mark, do you have any any feelings about that? How does that make you feel? Um, you know, for him to like text us a few minutes ago and say, "Oh, I forgot, I yeah. have plans tonight." <laughs> yes, because we don't we we've never recorded on a Thursday night before, right? No, yeah, no. Uh, hmm. He's at his at a concert. So, um, yeah, we're, Mark and I are dealing with this by ourselves tonight. Uh, one, before we get into the special episode, one thing that I do think is worth mentioning this week, um, today, Thursday, September 14th, if you did not hear, or did not read, Google announced, uh, I guess it was about midday or early afternoon, that they are now extending uh, software update support or their AUE support for Chromebooks uh, manufactured after 2021 by default, out to 10 years. Um, and then they will be supporting some models before 21 uh, up to that 10-year mark as well, but you'll have to opt in. I'm not, not real sure what that means yet, uh, what that opt-in looks like, but that has totally changed uh, my department's priorities. Like this afternoon, I sat down with my guys, we had a meeting. Um, it, it's changing our replacement priorities and it's it's changing our replacement life cycle for the next couple of years. So this, this is really big. Um, of course, the optics makes it look like that PIRG study that came out in April, May, and then uh, Wall Street Journal picked it up last week or the week before. Um, it looks like that may have helped push Google over the edge to make this decision. Um, yeah. If so, yeah. if so, okay, that's a good thing. Um, I think I tweeted Lucas, the the gentleman that, that wrote the study from PR, PIRG, I said, okay, now do Apple, um, because you know I, I think <laughs> I think Apple is uh, as much to blame for e-waste as Google is, especially in schools. Um, Mark, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Chrome yeah, I, we we briefly talked about it at work. I I don't know if it will change our refresh. I think you know we were kind of joking at the office around like, what are we gonna are we gonna hand a child a ten year old Chromebook and say, right. here you go. But I, one of the benefits I do think that everybody can 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 get from this is that even if you keep your refresh cycle the exact same, your your resale value might be going up. Absolutely. So, 
you know, these devices are no longer uh, out of support. So you might actually be able to get a, a little bit of a higher value. So I think it's good news all around. Excited to see what this does. And I think uh, from a refresh cycle standpoint, it allows you to, let's say the device is eight or nine years old, you can push those down to those lower grade levels that may not rely on state assessment testing as much. They don't need to be a beat, you know, a newer, faster processor. Um, so yeah, I, I think this really could shift things in schools as far as replacement cycle goes. It'll be interesting to see a couple of years from now how that goes. <clears throat> um, now on to the special episode, the main part of the content from this episode. Uh, we hinted at this last week about being maybe a special release, but since Chris isn't here tonight, uh, we're just going to make this our, our week episode tonight. We interviewed, this was super cool that we got to do this and they agreed to come on. Um, we're not sure they'll be back. Uh, who knows? But Miss Elena Clark from CISA, she is the Assistant Director of Stakeholder Engagement. Uh, she was willing to come on and sit with us for about 45 minutes over this interview. And, and she kind of explained the big things were uh, what CISA can do for your school, the, the offerings that CISA has in place to help your school better their cybersecurity posture. And then we talked about the White House convening a little bit. She was actually there. She talked about being in person. And that was the first time that she was in the White House in her career, as well as the Secure by Design uh, initiative that was announced at the event. So I, I think it was a really good interview. We we laughed. Um, I don't think we cried. Um, well, maybe we had to cut that part out. Actually, um, it it was a good interview. Mark, what do you what do you think? What what was your big takeaway from Elena? Uh, it's it it's really cool to see um, as you're you're about to hear uh, you know the leadership in an organization as large as CISA at the federal level, um, how in touch they are with the needs of K twelve and the needs of 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 those of us on the ground. So I think it was a really cool uh, opportunity to, as you're about to hear, to talk to some folks at the federal level, to hear what their priorities are, to hear their approaches and their strategies. Um, it was really, really exciting to hear that, you know, this is a federal agency that's trying to uh, provide the best service and support to their constituents and to their to their uh, um, K-12 districts and as well as the other sectors. Uh, it's not about bureaucracy and, and, uh, and rules and regulations. It's all about how can we protect our country and protect our schools. So it was a, it's a very, very cool organization. And I think it's really fun to be able to interact with some of the leadership. So yeah, hope you enjoy this interview just as much as we did. And thanks for listening. So we are super excited to have Elena Clark with us today. She is the assistant director at CISA, and she is here to kind of keep us up to date or get us up to date with what's been going on with CISA and Secure by Design and how they're helping K-12 school districts better secure themselves against cyber threats. Elena, thank you very much for joining us and welcome. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate being here with you And we do today. apologize. You were on time. Mark was really late. He logged in and out like five times. It was embarrassing. <laughs> it's okay. I was surprised I got in on the first login, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, why don't you spend some time telling us about yourself and what your role is there at CISA, how you got to CISA, that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, so I've actually been at the Department of Homeland Security since 2005. Um, so I've spent a, a good portion um, of my career here, um, became a federal employee in 2007. And as I was kind of reflecting on it today, uh, coming into this, I, um, I all the work that I have done has truly been on that voluntary partnership side uh, and bringing partners into the Department of Homeland Security, kind of breaking down those barriers, making it easier to navigate, 
uh, voluntary services. Uh, and so I was up at uh, DHS headquarters um, and I helped to run their intergovernmental affairs office. So working with state and local partners, elected and appointed uh, officials, and then the opportunity to come over to CISA right after it was established uh, presented itself. Uh, and so I think it'll be four years uh, in November that I will be with the agency. I started with their external affairs team, really on the communications and, and digital uh, and legislative side. But when this opportunity opened up for me to come over here and be the assistant director for stakeholder engagement, I jumped on it because I was missing that partnership. Uh, side of the house. And for me, um, as a civil servant, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, uh, when I get to connect with uh, individuals and with partners, it kind of recenters me as like why I'm here. <laughs> you know, what we're doing is is for the taxpayers, it's for our critical infrastructure partners. And so for me, I just find it so important to be able to connect uh, communities with agency or department resources. And so that's been kind of my passion. Um, I never want somebody to try and navigate um, the large department that is the Department of Homeland Security uh, or CISA on their own. They really should have that kind of C-suite um, kind of handholding through through the services and, and through uh, the resources that we have. And so um, was so excited to have this opportunity to lead stakeholder engagement, which is uh, working across the 16 critical infrastructure sectors and the work that we do from a national coordinator perspective, uh, executing all the councils and boards that we have here at the agency, uh, working with the international community, and then our national level organizations and kind of that C-suite group as well. And so uh, when the director asked me last year to, to take on um, the K-12 sector because she prioritized it, uh, and needing resources, I was really excited to jump on that opportunity because it's just a community that unfortunately has become a target. Um, and so I uh, was really excited uh, to start to work with this community um, a little bit more than I had uh, previously. So tell us, so being that your uh, one of your core projects is K-12 or one of your focus areas is K-12, tell us about that relationship between CISA and K-12. Because if some people listening to this might think, well, K-12, we're not really critical infrastructure, but, you know, we are a school. Tell us, help help us understand how K-12 fits into that strategic uh, critical infrastructure mindset. Absolutely. So for those that aren't familiar with CISA, we're the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, um, and we are uh, America's Cyber Defense Agency and National Coordinator for uh, Critical Infrastructure. So we really look at uh, understanding, managing, and reducing the risk to our nation's critical infrastructure. And the K-12 community is part of that um, when you look at government facilities and ensuring that um, children have the ability to go to schools, um, uh, access uh, curricula, that teachers are able to do virtual learning if they need to, or use the tools and technologies in their classroom. Um, for all of us to be able to do our jobs, we need our children in school. So they are very much uh, embedded in the critical infrastructure uh, of this nation. And so um, CISA has um, a field force of, of individuals that are across the country. Um, and so they um, work very closely with this community to ensure that they understand um, all the available resources that not only CISA has, but, but the government uh, has as well. And so we very much view um, the K-12 community um, as part of the critical infrastructure um, sector uh, sectors that, that we work with um, so much. And I know we'll, we'll chat about this more, but you know, the White House has even recognized it, that the first lady recognized it a few weeks ago. And so um, making sure that our children have access daily 
um, to education is, is so important. So can I ask a question about when you talk about the different resources that are out there when, and you've talked about your experience with other federal agencies, cybersecurity is an agency or is a is an area where there really is no clearly defined border, right? So you have local school districts, cities and towns, state and now federal involvement in here. From, from your perspective at CISA, what is the relationship that your agency needs to have with states and, and local towns to be able to provide this kind of overarching uh, guidance and, and defense for school districts? Because it feels like for me, it feels like there's a lot of people in the area, but as a school district, I don't really quite know who to follow or who to reach out to. It just kind of feels like there's a lot of uh, energy floating in the air, but no kind of clear pathway or, or delineation? No, it's a great question. So one of the unique things about CISA, and I would say this is actually unique when you start looking at our international partners, that they actually look at our model. Everything we do is voluntary. So CISA is not a law enforcement agency. We are not an intelligence agency, a military agency. Um, so what we are doing and what is kind of the bedrock of, of how we do our work is voluntary. So we voluntarily provide resources, we voluntarily provide recommendations, and we work with partners. And if an entity comes to us to share information, we protect that, um, that victim or that entity in the information that they're sharing. So we provide a really unique relationship, I would say, with our critical infrastructure partners. Um, we do work very closely, though, um, with, especially on the cyber side, because to your point, cyber has no boundaries. Um, and so we are working with the entire federal government um, to ensure that we are sharing information. So we do work very closely with our FBI partners, with, with Secret Service uh, and others to ensure that we are constantly kind of sharing that information. But we just provide a different um approach, I would say, to cyber. So sometimes when you are sitting down with a local entity to come in from a voluntarily voluntary perspective and not a law enforcement or other type of perspective, um, it might be one that's a little bit more uh, open. They might, they might be open to sharing just a little bit more information. Um, and a lot of our field force, again, this is really unique, they're hired from the local communities. So we have some phenomenal cybersecurity advisors that we have been actually stealing from some of the states. Um, and so we, we've hired some great folks in that know the community, understand the state structures, understand the localities, um, and the challenges and the uniqueness that might come um, with how their government uh, structure is within their state, because every state is structured a little differently. Um, and so there is a true value because we really want to have individuals that are part of our workforce that are from the community that understand uh, those differences. Here in Missouri, uh, I think we're re region seven, right, for CISA. And I think uh, Chris Cockburn is one of, he's the guy mm -hmm. out of St. Louis that uh, I've worked yeah. with a couple different times. And you're right, they do know the local folks, like he's got a direct in with the St. Louis Fusion Center, um, you know, that they've they've got all those connections. Uh, Chris is a, a great guy. And I'm assuming the rest of this is a folks are as well. Yeah, they're they're phenomenal. So one of the things you mentioned was uh, threats changing and, and becoming a threat to schools. And we've kind of seen that for the last I don't know, probably three, four, five years that schools have been a, a major target, especially for ransomware actors, but there's other threats out there. Um, tell us kind of, if you can peel back the curtain a little bit, how, what are you guys seeing from major threats to schools? Is it still the major threat ransomware type incidents or has DDoS come back? What's, uh, what are you guys seeing as those major threats we need to be looking for? 
So one of the things that, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, one of the things that we were viewing the K-12 sector as a as target-rich cyber-poor, and I always mix up the term a little bit, but target-rich cyber-poor <laughs> in that um, a lot of times these threat actors are going um, for low-hanging fruit. They know that there is rich data within the community, uh, but the resources might not always be there to protect the data, and so they are targeting it. And we saw that during uh, the pandemic just escalate significantly um, with schools that were just getting hit with ransomware. Um, and so that's where we as a government have put a lot of resources. We've established a joint ransomware task force that is specifically looking at uh, K-12 schools, and they're also looking at hospitals. So trying to find ways that we can work with um, those specific sectors to provide additional support from a whole of government perspective. So we're working very closely with Department of Education in this area. This is us and the FBI and a few other U.S. government partners. But ransomware, I would say, is definitely the easy one because threat actors can can, can deploy it. It's 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 very easy to do. They can be sitting from home. They don't have to be sitting in the United States. They can be sitting wherever. Um, and so this is a community um, that unfortunately they they've picked up on um, doesn't have the resources. Um, so definitely seeing ransomware. Uh, and I apologize. I I don't move often. This is live. Uh, my lights go out. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it used to happen like every like five minutes. And so it was really bad. Um, but I'll, I'll try to move a little bit more. We have those in our classrooms. All of our new construction have those actually. That's So let, let's go ahead and talk about the White House uh, event <clears throat> that we weren't invited to. Um, so that was a really, really, I think it, it showed, I, I you may have mentioned it already that it showed the importance of uh, this threat or this K-12 and cybersecurity. It was funny. I, I saw a quote the other day um, with President Biden and the First Lady. They were in Florida and they were interviewing somebody in Florida. And they said, yeah, we know that you're taking this very. They were talking about the president that they know they knew that he was taking this very seriously, the recovery in Florida, because he brought his wife. And I think if you extrapolate that to the White House event, the convening for K-12 cybersecurity, um, you can tell that they are taking it serious. This is a very important topic because the First Lady was there talking about it. Um, so yeah, can you fill us in from your perspective what your takeaways were from the White House announcement the convening? Yeah, so this, um, it, w it was an amazing event. It was the first time actually in my career that I had the opportunity to be at the White House with the First Lady um, announcing something and bringing attention to a particular issue. So not, not many um, career employees have this opportunity um, throughout their career to do. So it was truly amazing to see. And it wasn't, you had the first lady, you had the cabinet secretaries for Homeland Security, Department of Education, you had the deputy for the FBI, the, the deputy for education, our director, um, the national cyber director. And so it was um amazing to see. And then superintendents from across the country that flew in. And then you're seeing the um, the tech community as well um, at the table making commitments uh, to this community. And so it was truly uh, impactful and definitely, um, I would say, one of the you know, top five things I, I have done in my career um, to be at the White House, be in the presence of, you know, the first lady um, focusing in on something that you that has been made a priority for you and in, in the work that we're doing. Um, I think the great thing leading up to this event was all of the work that we were doing with uh, the tech community. So our director, Jenny Easterly, has really focused 
um, the past several months on ensuring that we are uh, shifting the burden. So to to ask schools to do this alone or other entities that don't have the resources is just not fair. We really need to be shifting that burden to the tech industry so that they are developing um, products that are just secure out of the box um, and making these commitments uh, as well. And so this event just highlighted that. Um, you had major companies um, announcing grants, free services, um, and it was it was phenomenal. CISA um, as well, we put out um, acquisition planning guidance. So as a school district is going uh, to procure um, a, a different type of technology, a new technology, there would be some guiding questions that they could just ask along the way. So again, it, just empowering the individuals that are making these investments um, in what they're doing. And then um, also we had an infrastructure brief, which we uh, really Department of Education led the effort on this, but we, we co-branded it with them, um, which was just a follow on to all the work we've been doing. Um, and then yesterday, which we can dive into a little bit more, uh, CISA released the Secure by Design um, pledge. So we've got uh, industry partners for the K-12 community that are committing to specific things to ensure that their products are, are secure, that they've got buy-in at the leadership level, um, which we find to be so important. Um, you, we, we need to ensure past the CIO or the CISO um, that your C-suite, whatever your entity might look like, um, is invested in this, that your board is invested, your CEO is invested, your superintendent is invested. Um, we got a lot of questions from industry partners going, what does that part mean? And it's like, we want your leadership <laughs> invested. Everybody has a role in cybersecurity. And as the leader of an organization, you need to be investing uh, in cyber um, because it's just so important that the risk is just too much. And we've seen it. We, you know, at the state on the stage, you right. had the LA superintendent, you had other school districts talking about their experiences and what happened. And so that investment is so important. And so, um, yeah, it was just, I, I can't speak enough. It was um, really impressive um, just to see the government come around, but then also, I mean, to have the first lady there, like you said, um, when, when the president brings his first lady, you know, he's really serious about something. What, what I like about the secure by design statement and agreement is um, it's it, it is requiring these companies to be held accountable or to be uh, accountable is the wrong word transparent when they have an incident um, they are they now have to take ownership of those incidents and and make them reportable let their clients know something has happened and and from from the release yesterday, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. These the first couple companies that you've got to sign on to agree to the secure by design agreement: uh, PowerSchool, which is a student information system; uh, ClassLink, Clever, GG4L, and Structure, which is the owner of Canvas and uh, D2L. So those are some huge names, huge players. Uh, there's also some huge names and huge players that are missing from this list, and hopefully. This will put pressure on them to sign on. Um, do you guys expect or do you guys know when you're going to, I guess, um, it's an ongoing cycle to get people Correct. to sign up, right? It's not like you're going to do this quarterly or anything. Uh, so hopefully you'll we'll start seeing more names added to that list. Were you guys pleased with the number of folks that signed up already? Absolutely. Um, we actually had a Secure by Design Summit prior to the White House event that morning. 
Um, so we had a lot of these companies with us at the table talking through this and what we were looking for. And so it was great to see. Um, and there were a couple uh, entities that were with us that aren't here, but we are we are very pleased to see the commitments that they are making. We're also hoping um, that as other companies see um, their competitors, uh, healthy competition is always a, a positive um, signing on to this, that others will too, through you know being here today, talking with you guys, you have quite the platform as well within the community um, and helping to really spread the word. Um, we want more companies to sign up to the pledge. Um, we want to expand this past K-12. We're, we're starting with the K-12 community, but this is something that we we want and expect other sectors to do as well, because we need to encourage um, the vendor community to, to be transparent, to invest, um, and to ensure their products are secure right out of the box. Well, it's, it's fantastic. It's awesome. You guys have any questions? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast in conversations, especially around the White House event, the, this idea of, of secure by, by design, but also this other thing that, that we struggle with is that a lot of companies are selling security as an upcharge or as an add-on feature. Um, is, is that something that, that you've had conversations about internally or with, with some of the vendors? Because what we're seeing here is that you, you have a product that might hit certain secure by design principles, but if you really want the full security feature, security suite, you've got to pay an extraordinary amount, extraordinary amount of money that many school districts always struggle with. So has that part of the conversation come to the table at all? Uh, absolutely. And we've also done it publicly. So our director has been out there saying it should not cost more for security. There should not be an upcharge uh, for these features as well. So that is part of the conversation we were having with companies behind closed doors. But also she has come out very publicly and stated that as well. You should we should all have the same level of security um, with these different um, technology solutions. Yeah, We had that company years ago that introduced MFA, but they wanted us to pay for it. And that's just, that's insanity. You know, that's, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. It's st yeah. It still happens to me. Uh, yeah. So. Well, and Mark, you're, I, I think the episode where we talked about the white house convening, um, that was one of your takeaways with that was you were, you were a little upset that there wasn't a little bit more, um, knocking down of that paywall from a couple different vendors. We won't name, they might start with a G. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see that mindset take hold a little bit more. Um, and, and like you said, even the playing field for those um, smaller districts that just can't afford it or districts that maybe leadership isn't making a priority for that. Yeah. And this we have an entire team here that is just focused on secure by design so that you're going to continue to see this discussion and conversation from the agency. Um so we are, this is a top priority um, for Director Easterly and, and us here at CISA. Um, the other thing that, you know, when we talk with our colleagues uh, in school districts, it, it often comes down to, to finances and money. Um, and there have been a lot of financial commitments from the private and public sector in recent months and years. Um, what do you think about um, cybersecurity funding and, and where does that type of thing sit? either with the local district, with state or federal grants? Um, is, is there any conversation that says about just that particular aspect of it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things. First, um, the report that we put out earlier this year, which I just like to call the K-12 report because it has a very long and lengthy name. I did not name <laughs> it, uh, but was involved in uh, some of the drafting of, of the content in it. Um, one of the the second key finding in there goes to your question about, about there's just finite resources. Um, and so making sure that you Obviously, this community understands that, but how do we pool resources from other locations? Um, and one of them is on the grant funding side. So CIS said this same day, it wasn't coincidence, or it was coincidence, it didn't. It wasn't planned this way. We announced the second year of our state and local cyber uh, grant program. So it was the largest tranche of money. So it's $400 million um, sp spread across um, all 50 states, DC, and the five territories. And um, there was, uh, so all the planning committees have to have somebody from the educational community on it. So each state has one planning committee, but we also added in some language into the grant, which I'm sure you spent all night reading, uh -huh. um, and finding this language. I'm going to apologize. Um, and, um, we added language in encouraging, uh, the state planning committee to consider investments into the K-12 community. Um, and so, that, that was one way we were trying to uh, encourage them. And as our field uh, cybersecurity advisors uh, start to work with um, the state planning committees, highlighting some of the uh, additional language that we CISA added into the grant uh, this year. So um, that that's one area that we can help. I know as you, if you think through $400 million divided by 56 entities going down to locals, right. I'm, I'm sure you, you'll break so, but, but we are, like $5? There, there's opportunity. We would say, I think at the state <laughs> level, I, yeah. So, it's, but uh, this is where we're, you know, there's state planning committees are trying to really focus um, and encourage everybody to, to kind of work through that process to find out if there are opportunities for managed services or, or what can we, what could they potentially do at scale for local communities? Um, I know the FCC also has a $200 million uh, grant that they announced that they'll be working on um, as well. We are in communication um, with them on that. Um, and so it's exciting to see more opportunities uh, for the community. Um, and then outside of just the grant funding, um, you have the MSI SAC. So if you're looking to receive threat information, it's a great resource. I think, Josh, you mentioned it earlier, the Fusion Center network that we have. It's another great um, resource to tap into um, if school districts are not familiar with it so that they are understanding what the threat environment is um, and investments or, or adjustments that they might need uh, to be taking. Um, but then also some of the national level organizations, K-12-6, um, phenomenal resource um, in sharing information uh, as well. But um, hoping that the the grants and, and then also um, our field force, um, they are able to, on a voluntary basis, if they're invited in, help to provide uh, free resources. Everything we do again is free. So they, they can help, um, schools kind of walk through. We would start with the K-12 report and the recommendations we have there, probably mature it to the cybersecurity performance goals and then the NIST framework, but kind of, um, walk them through, um, the various steps that they, they could take. Um, one thing we are mindful of is there are finite resources. Um, and so your CIO or your CISO might also be responsible for many other things. So the last thing we need to do is throw um, something complicated um, or significant on their plate. So kind of understanding what is achievable. Um, and so making uh, the recommendations and the tools that we have uh, something that they can actually implement.
event. Um, so we've, we've been very mindful as we have been putting uh, things out for the K-12 community to work with the K-12 community so that it will actually resonate. So um, if you ever see anything that we're putting out, um, it, you know, give us feedback. We, we would welcome it because um, we need to be able to tailor things at times for different communities. It's not always a one size fit all, fits all. It's funny you mentioned the SLTT grant. We, I'm on the Missouri committee and we had our kickoff um, meeting yesterday. Great. So we are getting ready to open up the window, I think next month, they said. Hopefully Mark's state does something this year with the SLTT grant, right, Mark? Yeah, we're, you know, just wait for my state to get started. <laughs> but rub it in, Josh. Starting on round two. Round two, um, baby! <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I, I have always been a proponent of um, the resources we get from CISA, from MS Isaac. Uh, it's phenomenal that, that we get these services for little to no cost. Um, and so as I talk about, you know, financing and funding for school districts, I'm also the, going to be the first to say that, you know, we need to, to support and, and properly finance the, the CISA and MS Isaac services. Um, cause what we can get from you guys are, are often things that we can't afford through the private sector. Um, so thank you so much to your organizations for, for doing that for, for little to no cost, uh, for K-12 districts. Yeah. Um, so we've been on with you for a while. I don't, we don't want to take up a whole lot of much more of your time, but we do have a couple more questions. So, uh, if a school district is really just now hearing about all these different services and stuff that, that CISA and MS ISAC offers, um, what would be the best way for a district to reach out to one of the regional offices or one of the regional reps to say, Hey, how do I get started with, or how, can you put me in contact with MS ISAC? What's, do you guys have, um, a point like, is there a phone number? Should we hit the website? What, what should a, a school district yep. do? So um, one of the easiest things, if you just type into your Google browser, CISA regions, it'll pop up the um, regional page. And then you can identify which state you're in and click on the region and it'll just pop up an email. And so you can email the region directly because I, I assume some states are like, I have no idea what region I'm even in. Um, so if you just look for CISA regions, you'll be able to easily pull it up, connect with the region. Um, the other thing I would say is if you ever hear of a partner that just doesn't know how to get a hold of CISA, you, you guys are always welcome to please just send them my way. Um, and then I can help them get to the right right person um, because the last thing I want somebody to do is try and navigate a website, get frustrated and uh, walk away. So I always offer that up to partners is um, you are welcome to share, share my contact information with your community so that if they just need some help getting connected and going in the right direction, we are, I am always happy uh, to do that. In, in closing, if you could, if there's a district out there that's like, Oh man, I, I, I really, we haven't really started on much of this. We're not doing any training. We're not really doing MFA. If you had to give one recommendation to a school district uh, to make sure they're doing X, Y, Z, to make sure that they're uh, taking care of that lowest hanging fruit, uh, what what would you say that would be? What, what's that recommendation? I mean, MFA is obviously always uh, a priority. So if, if the school district has time, I would say the K-12 report um, is a very easy read. And it clearly breaks down recommendations that um, the school districts can can take. Um, and it, it's it, we try to ensure that understanding um, their time is limited. Um, but that really breaks down some very specific things uh, with MFA patching vulnerabilities, known vulnerabilities, um, you know, and a couple other things. Uh, but it is just 
so important to just take a few minutes, go through the report and see what you have the resources of the capability uh, to do. Um, and then if you do have questions or you're just not even sure where to start, again, just reach out to us and our, C our cybersecurity advisors can help kind of walk through to understand your maturity level and what might be the best first investment for you to take. But MFA, patching known vulnerabilities, I mean, those two things will immediately reduce your risk um, on the spot. Yeah. I think one of the stats that I've read, and I think from Director Easterly, she's tweeted about it, MFA by itself like resolves or takes care of 98 and 99% of, of current threat vectors. So um, yeah, that makes sense to have that one in there. Yep. In closing, guys, do you have any final questions or comments for I, Elena? If not, I'll I leave just, it up to her and Elena, let her wrap it we up. We met you, Mark and I did at K-12-6, and you refused to sit yeah. in the hot seat like for the podcast episode, if you recall that. <laughs> So I just want to say thank That's you. That's because my, my was going to kill me if I came back. Okay. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you being on today uh, and for spending some time with us. We do. We do thank you a lot. Thank you. I think you've demonstrated why people don't want to sit in the hot seat because you have. <laughs> yes. Stories. Especially. Yeah. Stories. <laughs> yes. Stories like. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, well Elena, any, any. Go ahead. No, Mark. no, I was going to say ahead. thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure for all of us. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy this interview. So thank you. Yeah. We appreciate your time. Yeah. Well, thank right. you. And, and one thing I would say is, is your listeners um, use our resources or start to dig into them. If there is any feedback that you have for us, again, everything that we're doing is voluntary. We are trying to develop uh, products and resources that the community can use. So changes that we need to make, if you guys are seeing a gap, um, that that's feedback that we definitely want to hear because um, we're not creating this for us. We really are creating it for the K-12 community. Um, and we really uh, value, value this partnership. So just thank you uh, as well for inviting us into the conversation and inviting me to be here today. The views and opinions expressed on the K-12 Tech Talk podcast are the personal opinions of Josh, Chris, and Mark, and do not represent the views or opinions of our sponsors or other organizations that we're affiliated with. The material information presented here is for general information and entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.